We're glad you're here. If you're online with us, we are delighted that you're here as well. God bless you. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 90. And uh, I am so excited about what we're going to see there. It is going to be amazing. Um, we're going to look at it up close and personal. And I trust that you brought a Bible today or that you brought a device and, and, uh, and you're taking notes and, and uh, you're engaging with what God is saying to you. And most importantly, that you're planning on, I hope, I hope this is true, I hope that you're planning on doing whatever God shows you to do today. How about that? Are you in for that? All right, amen. So Psalm chapter 90, uh, we've been uh, wired by God to respond to music in profound ways, right? You all know that? You just experienced it? You and I are wired by God for that experience. And I have to admit something to you. Uh, honestly, I, I gr I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. And, and so I grew up listening to oldie, the oldies music. It was not oldies then. It was, it was new music then. And, uh, and, and so much so that when I would hear a song on the radio, or when I, and I just have to admit to you, I have serious radio in my truck. And uh, I do listen to Christian music, but I also listen to the 60s and 70s station. Okay, so just, I'm just being real with you. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm confessing my sin to you today. And a song will come on, a song will come on, on, the, on my, in my truck. And it will take me back to the day that I heard that song for the very first time. Anybody like that? Anybody have that kind of experience with music? It is such a powerful thing. And that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are, it was Israel's hymn book. And they are amazing and there's amazing truth in them. And uh, the premise of this series is that you can learn a lot from a song. That really is so true, is that when you delve into what God taught Israel through the Psalms, it is mind boggling. And today we're gonna look at Psalm 90 and the subject matter of Psalm 90 is dealing with failure in your life. So let me start with this question. Anybody have any failure in their life? Come on now, let's be honest. We all do. Let me tell you about a huge part of failure in my life. Uh, honestly, it was my first semester at Nevada and uh, I almost flunked out because I didn't know you're supposed to go to class when you, know, when you went to the university. I thought you were just, I thought it was just party time, you know? So you just partied and then, and then every once in a while you'd show up to class. And after my first semester at college at Nevada, uh, I hate to admit this to you, but I had a 1.2, a 1.2. And they let me go back the next semester on probation and I had to swear on my life that I would do better. And, uh, and I actually went to class the next semester and I actually graduated. I mean, I, can you imagine that? I actually graduated from Nevada. Uh, in, spite, in spite of that slow start, I did, I did okay. And uh, so that was, that was a defining moment for me when I realized that my dream of continuing might not, might not be a reality for me. It put me into a, a spirit of depression. And it was a defining moment because I recognized that in this failure, I had to make some fundamental decisions to change. And I think you learn more in your failures than you do in your successes. I really do. I think they're more profound. I think they're deeper lessons. I think we make more life change in, in those kinds of failures in our life. So what about you? 
What kind of failure do you have in your life? I don't want you to stay long there, but I want you to just remember a time in your life where you just blew it. Nobody else did it. You did. I couldn't blame anybody else for a 1.2 grade point average. I couldn't blame my professors. I couldn't blame anybody, you know, anybody else. I just didn't open the books. I just didn't. And I didn't try hard. So what about you? What are your failure? What are your failures? Uh, let's think about that for just a minute. And now let's think about Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a very fascinating psalm because this is about failure in Moses' life. So you all remember who Moses was. He was this fantastic leader. When, you, when I think of a leader uh, that, you know, of the ages, I think of Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage. I mean, he did miraculous signs and wonders. And I mean, good night. He had thousands of people out in the desert. Could you imagine that? Leading them. And so here's this amazing leader. But at the end of Moses' life, he got frustrated and angry and acted in his own accord, acted out of a sense of frustration and did something that angered the Lord. And so Moses had to forfeit a huge blessing in his life as a result of that failure in his life. And as a result, Psalm 90 is penned and there are some great and deep and abiding lessons and truths that are in Psalm 90 that you and I need to learn because it's not if you're going to fail, it's when. Because there's nobody here that lives life perfectly. We all make mistakes. We all blow it. We all get angry. We all get frustrated. We all act like two-year-olds sometimes, right? Can I have an amen to that? I mean, I don't want to be up here by myself, all, amen, all by myself. So I need that amen to help me understand that I'm in the right crowd. So M Moses then models for us how to deal with crisis, failure in our lives. And so he gives us three or four really deep things for us to practice in our life when failure comes our way. So the first thing right out of the, right out of the shoot, I'm going to just say it, is that Moses teaches us to reset our bearings. When I fail, what I've got to do is I've got to reset because what I was doing wasn't working. And you know that it's really stupid to keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results, right? That's called insanity. So when I fail, I've got to reset. And that's exactly what Moses models for us. And there are there's a way to do that. And so when I reset, there's some things that I need to remember. Moses remembered two things. So let me show you them from, the, from Psalm 90 this morning. First of all, God, he, re, he was reminded that God is the source of all of life. In Moses' failure, he was reminded that God is the source of all life. That's what God brought to his attention. In verse 1, this is what Moses writes. He says, Lord, through all generations... You have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. So Moses now is reminding himself that he is not God and that God is God and that, that he has this sense of, a, he needs to remind himself that there is a sense in which he failed and God never fails. I like to think of it this way. It is God that gives it, you your reality. He's the one that sets your reality for you. He gives you your sense of identity. He gives you even your next breath, right? God is the source of all of life. 
You depend upon God for everything that you have. In a heartbeat, in a moment, it could all be gone. Do you understand that? I mean, have you under, do you understand that you are not the source? You are not the source of life. God and God alone is the source of life. And the sooner you understand that God is the source of life, the better off you are. But somehow, some way, we get in a mindset, we get in a mode where we begin to read the, in the clips about ourselves and we begin to think more highly than we ought to think about ourselves. And then God oftentimes has to allow us to fail so that we can get back to reality to remind us that he is the source of life of life. Under the mighty providence of God, you were birthed by your mom. It wasn't your idea, was it? It just wasn't. You were birthed by someone else's decision. Under the mighty providence of God, you are also birthed by God in the rebirth. God sent his spirit, opened your blind eyes, showed you the truth of Jesus, and now you have been born again. That is the sovereignty of God. So Moses remembered that he was not the source. Do you get that? Look at me for just a second. Do you get that? You are not the source of your life. It's, not, it's just not true. The second thing that Moses remembered is that he was mortal. In verse 3, he says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, now he's, this is God speaking, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. So, this is a comparison. God brings people back to dust, but God is eternal. And a thousand years is like nothing to God. I can remember back when I was 10 years old and I got out of school for the, for the summer. And I can remember, I mean, that, back in those days, I, hey, if there's any kids in the audience, you just plug your ears right now. You actually got three months out of school for the summer. It was every parent's nightmare, right? Three months, three months, I'm telling you, three months out, out of your life, you got to just play and ride your bike and go to the swimming pole, hole and, you know, whatever you did when, as you were a kid. And I can remember when I was 10 years old, that three months seemed like it was forever. It did. I mean, I was just having, a, I was having fun every day and, and doing the things that I wanted to do, sleeping in, not having to get up to go to school, not having to dress up to go to school. I mean, the bottom line is, is that it was heaven for a kid. And, and I think about that and I think about how slowly every one of those days went because I was having such a great time. And then I blinked and now I got up this morning and I looked in the mirror and this happened. <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder how did that happen? I blinked. I blinked and all of a sudden I looked in the mirror and I go, I don't recognize you anymore. Who are you? I don't know who you are. So as you think about that, and by the way, the older you get, the faster life goes. It, that's just an just a unwritten law somewhere. The, fast, the older you get, the faster life goes. And so here's what you need to remember. This life for you, not for God, this life for you has a beginning and an end and you are not in control of either. You're not in control of your beginning and you're not in control of your end. You cannot choose the day you die. That's already been chosen for you. And that thought, here's what else you need to remember. So no, Moses is now recalling all these things 
about the fact of his mortality and the fact of where he's, in, where he's at in life. And this is what else you need to remember. God never meant this life to be the ultimate fulfillment of your dreams. Let me say that to you one more time. If anyone tells you all you have to do is dream and you can have anything you want, they've lied to you. According to Scripture, God has never meant this world to be the ultimate satisfaction in life. It just isn't the way it works out. I mean, we can accomplish great things. We can have some dreams that come true. But I'm telling you, this is not Disneyland. We don't live in Disneyland. We live in the real world. This is Reno. And in Reno, in Reno, I, I'm just telling you, oftentimes in my life, I just, I just get my footing and then something else comes along. Anybody like that here today? I just get my footing and all of a sudden some other new thing happens and now I got to deal with this and, and that's just the way life is because God has intended it that way. Here's why. It's because he wants you to learn how to depend upon him. And if, if this were heaven, if this is where all your dreams came true, you would not need God, you wouldn't desire God and you wouldn't desire heaven and wouldn't long for heaven if this is it, if this is what we get. And so I just describe life this way. Life is one patty short of a double-double. That's the way it is. <laughs> and for those of you that, uh, I have to explain this joke for some. In and out, double-double. Okay, you guys got it now. So life is one patty short of a double-double. And unrealistic expectations will slay you. They'll blow you up. They'll discourage you. When you're expecting, if you're expecting everything in this life to be perfect and everything and all your dreams to come true, then you're going, you're going to get blown up at some level. So you need to first set your bearings. I'm mortal. God is not. He is not. He's just not. Second, you need to learn something. When you fail, the first question out of your mouth should be this. What are you teaching me? What do I need to know? What am I missing, God? That should be the first thing that you say to God. And here's what Moses learned when he failed. Verse 12, it says, teach us to realize the brevity of life. That's what Moses is saying to God. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. So let me paraphrase this to you in a way that I think will help you understand it. So what that means is, is that I need to look at every day as a gift from God. Every day that God gives me, every day that I get up and I'm breathing, I need to look at that as a gift from God. I'm not sure that we do that. Oftentimes we look at, we look at Mondays as a pain, right? It's Monday morning, I gotta go to work today. And I'm just simply saying, that's the world's philosophy. God's philosophy is different than that. I should look at every opportunity that I have to live another day on this planet as a gift from God. So let me see if I can put that in perspective for you. So on the 43rd year, uh, when, when Reggie White turned 43 years old, let me say it that way, he died. He was a professional football player, amazing, played in some amazing games. On the day of his death, it was December 26th. 
2004. And the Colts were playing the Chargers in a game that mattered for the playoffs. And Peyton Manning in that game, Reggie White dies that day, and Peyton Manning takes the field and he sets the NFL record for touchdown passes in a, se a single season. And so he sets this record. It was pretty amazing. Tony Dungy, who was the head coach of the Colts and commentator today, said this. He says, this puts sports in perspective uh, with White's death, death. It makes you understand this, that as great as this game may seem, it's not a big deal when you think about the death of Reggie White. You put those two things in perspective. Record setting, death. Reggie always said, the Lord only gives you one day and you better make the most of it. Every day is a gift from God. Every day that you live and breathe is a gift from God. That's what I need to learn from my failures. When I have a great failure, I need to step back and recognize that everything that God is giving me is a gift. Steve Jobs, you ever heard of him? This is what he says. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like this. If you live each day as it were your last day, someday, most certainly, you'll be right. <laughs> right? If you give it up and say, you know, this could be my last day on the planet. If you say that every day for the rest of your life, one of these days, you're going to be 100% correct. It made an impression on me, he says. And since then, for the last 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself today, if today was the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? That's a great question, right? If today was my last day, would I want to do what I'm going to do today? And whenever, this is what he says, and whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Insanity is doing the same things over and over again. So set your bearings by remembering. You remember who you are. You remember who God is. Then you become teachable. You say, God, I need to, I need to learn. I, in my failures, I'm not an expert anymore. I went from being the expert to being the student. In my failures, that's the position I put myself in. And then the third thing that I think Moses learned how to do in the midst of his failures was to seek after God, seek after God's heart. Here's what Moses requested. Now, you can tell a lot by a person's prayer life. So now Moses is going to go into a mode with God where he's now transitioning to prayer. And so we're going to get a glimpse into Moses has failed. And now this is what he's asking God to do. This is so good. The first thing that Moses requested from God is compassion for him. He says in verse 13, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take compassion on your servants. He asked God, would you please show me compassion? Why would God, why would Moses pray that kind of prayer? Because Moses knew something about, he knew something about God. And what I've discovered about God is from Genesis to Revelation, all through the entire Bible, this is what I've learned about God in my study of the scripture, is on every page I see the compassion of God, that God cares deeply about hurting people. I see that all the time, everywhere I read. His heart is moved by human suffering. 
And so Moses knows that. And so Moses comes before God in the midst of his failure and he cries out to God and asks God to be compassionate. That is a great prayer for you. Instead of running from God, which is what we normally do in the midst of our failures, we feel shame and remorse and embarrassment, all those things. Here's what we should be doing. We should be fleeing to God and asking God to show us compassion in our lives. Such a powerful thing. What else did he, he pray? He also requested contentment. Verse 14 says, satisfy, each, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. This is such a rich verse. I want to camp here for just a few minutes because we learned so much about how life works in this verse. So this is what Moses prayed. He says, Lord, what I need from you, what I want from you is I want to be satisfied with your unfailing love. I want that to be my satisfaction. Now, before you run quickly and say, yeah, I do that, let me just spoil your parade a bit. Because I think intellectually we understand that. Yeah, I, yeah God, I, I want to be satisfied in your unfailing. I think we know it. I think we know we need to be satisfied in God's unfailing love. But here's what I think. I think we know it and I think we've experienced it. But I don't think we are actually that we set that as the aim of our life to be satisfied with God's unfailing love. Satisfied. It means I don't need anything else. That's what satisfied means. I don't need anything else but God. I need your, I need your unfailing life, your unfailing love. It is so rich and so good. And notice that there's a so in this verse, so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. You know what the secret of dying is and not being afraid of death? Is every day in your life making the choice to be satisfied in God's unfailing love. Whatever that means for you. To be satisfied in it. To take great joy in how much God loves you. To make that the driving factor in your life of why you do what you do, of how you act, of why you, what you say is you want to be satisfied in God's unfailing love. Does that make sense to you? I don't think we practice it, do you? I think we know that God is, has this unfailing love and we sing about it sometimes, but I'm not sure that we actually practice the discipline of being satisfied in God's unfailing love. It gets better. When you think it couldn't get any better than that, it gets better. So what else did Moses pray? He asked God for his favor. In Moses' failure, he comes right back at God and asks God to re-energize him, to, re to just favor him. Verse 16 says, let your servants see your work again. Let our, your children see your glory He's crying out and he's saying, Lord, we want with all of our hearts to see your favor on your people one more time. 
This concept of crying out to God for favor. God, I mean, I need it. I, I, I need God's favor and so do you. Such a powerful thing. God's favor is like a gentle falling rain. It's always there. Soak that in for a second. God's favor is like a gentle falling rain. And when it rains, you, have two you can have two responses. You can hold a bowl outright, upright, and let it fill with this unfailing favor from God. This grace that God wants to pour out every day. Or you can turn the bowl upside down. Now, which one do you think is the smartest thing to do? It is to take this bowl and take as much favor. You, can, you want to fill as much favor from God in this bowl as you possibly can. Now, make, make sure you understand this. Favor isn't something you work for. Favor is something you receive. It's a gift. So why, why would anybody turn their bowl upside down? Do you want to know why? Well, there's several reasons why. One is, Lord, I don't need you. I'm doing just fine all by myself. So we turn our bowl upside down. Sometimes we turn our bowl upside down because we're just prideful. Sometimes we turn our bowl upside down because we're rebellious. Sometimes we turn it upside down because we just don't understand our need for God's favor in our lives. Or sometimes we just, we just have some form of immorality or whatever and we're pushing away from God. And so my friend, listen carefully. If your bowl is upside down, it's never gonna collect the kind of favor that God wants for you to have in your life. So the goal every day of your life is to take your bowl, your life, this bowl represents your life, and Make sure it's right side up with God and allow his reign of favor in your life to pour out every day. And I'm going to promise you, you'll never be disappointed in God's favor. You'll never get enough of it. It is so addicting. It's so powerful. And it makes a difference in your life when God's favor is upon you. And you want to just hold your, you want to cry out to God for it. That's what Moses did. In the midst of his failure, Moses cried out and said, God, what I need now is your favor. Now that's weird because, you know, most people are filled with shame now and they're, they're running away from God. Moses ran to God and said, man, do I need you. I need you to restore me one more time, God. I need you to do again what you've done for me in the past. That's favor. And it is so good and so powerful. What else does Moses pray for? Verse 17, he prays for purpose. Moses, after his great failure, engages with God and he wants now new purpose. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts, make our work successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. So let me describe to you what this means. So what is purpose? What is life? Let's start there. What is life? If I'm going to have a life on purpose, what is life? Well, time is life. That's what it is. Time is life. Nothing more, nothing less. The way you spend your hours 
and your days is the way you spend your life. If you want to have a life on purpose, you've got to invest your time on the things of God, in the things of God. That's purpose. That's living, that's living in purpose, on purpose. And so when you think about this whole process, I suppose that the worst thing that we could do with our lives is actively pursue wickedness, right? Would you think that would be bad? I think I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend my time in actively pursuing wickedness. I don't think anybody here, you probably didn't come to church if that's what your goal was, right? <laughs> now think about that. Is there anything almost as bad as that? Let me suggest something. I think there's something almost as bad as pursuing a life of active wickedness, and that is simply this, is pursuing a life that really doesn't matter. I think that's almost as bad. Because in the end, the result is the same. Either a life of wickedness ends up, ends up in the grave, ends up in a pile of ashes, but so does a life that's, that's spent on activity that does not matter. Now think about that. How much of your time, how much of your energy, how much are you investing on things that don't matter in your life? Things that a year from now, people will go, who cares? So what? I can name a couple things if you want me to. Social media. I mean, social media is good unless it dominates us, unless I live for the likes or the dislikes, right? I mean, if I'm dominated by other people's opinions of me, that's living a life that isn't really worth anything. So how do I invest myself how do I invest my time? I invest my time in things that are people-oriented. Not self-oriented, people-oriented. I invest my life in serving people. That's what I do. If I want to serve God, if I want to love God, I love the people around me. That's living a purposeful life. Money can't buy that. If you associate purpose with riches, you're foolish. They're, they're two completely different things. Purpose is something that the poorest man or woman on the planet can invest in. Purpose. So Moses, after his great failure, he says to God, reestablish my purpose. Give me purpose. Restore to me this energy for purpose. And the reason that that matters is because we're intended to grow in the stature, in the, into the stature and fullness of Christ. Instead of withering away, God is intending for us to grow up like trees planted by the rivers of water. Like redwoods. That's what he wants. But instead... We go about our daily routines rarely asking the, this question, does this really matter? God, honestly, come on. If what I'm doing now, does it really matter? Is it going to make a difference? 
in the end. At your funeral, will people go up and say, wow, what an amazing, and you fill in the blank. This idea of purpose is so good and so powerful and it requires you to think it through and it requires of you for you to invest your time in the things that matter. So what do you do when you fail? What do you want to do when you fail? Well, what you want to do is go hide. What you want to do is crawl under a rock and hope somebody, everybody will forget your failure, right? That's what you want to do. But that's not what Moses did. Moses did something counterintuitive. He cries out to God and asks God for compassion. He asks God for his favor. He asks God to restore his purpose in life. That's what Moses did after the greatest failure in life. And in the end, this is what Moses was doing. Listen to this carefully. Let me sum up all of Psalm 90 for you. When I fail, and I will, I will, right? I will fail. Instead of running from God, I run to Him. Because this is what I've learned about God. When I experience and feel that God is holding on to me, that's the place and that is the only place that I can heal. Everybody here has wounds. You want healing from those wounds? The only place that you can heal is that place where you know that God is holding on to you. That's why you have to run to God in the midst of your failure. It's the only place that I can face my future when I run to God. It is the only place that I can face my future with confidence. And here's what I love about it. The only place that I can really breathe the way God has intended me to breathe is in his presence. When you think about anxiety, what's the major symptom of anxiety? Shortness of breath, right? We start breathing shallowly, shallowly. But I'm telling you, listen, listen carefully. In the presence of God, there's deep breath. That's where you can take a breath and you can really be who God wants you to be. It is the most beautiful an awesome place in all the world in the presence of God, especially after I failed. There's no greater place for me to be. That's what Moses learned in Psalm 90. And I hope we learn it too. Some of you are facing and you, you will face great failure in your own life. It's inevitable. If Moses, one of the greatest leaders in all the world, faced failure, there's no hope for me not to face it. And there's no hope for you not to face it. You're going to blow it big time. And when you do, I hope you remember this day when this strange pastor got up and told you to run to God. To run to him as fast as your little feet can carry you. Because it's there. It's there having him hold you, hold on to you is where you will find restoration and purpose and joy and favor. And that's what we all want, right? Amen.